0: Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder tech, Found tech, Found tech Decoded. When reaching out, sending a deck, or pitching a VC like me. Let's dive in.
1: Welcome to Founder Tech Decoded. On this episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Roy Samuel from Connected. I think it's really, really appropriate that we finish Series 2 uh, where we've been talking to people in the investment space, talking to Roy because he is dedicated to using essentially founder tech, whether he calls it that. We can discuss that in the, in, in the podcast to level the playing field. Uh, one of the, the core beliefs of founder tech is that we uh, and uh, a corollary of its impact is it makes the playing field and the landscape more open and transparent and agile for everyone including on the founder's side obviously but also on the investor side so both are aligned and are necessary asymmetries that get in the way and create create loads of inefficiency and often a toll on the deal flow but also on the health of the individuals involved can kind of be re-engineered in a much healthier way where the right founder fixing the right problem at the right time finds the right investor that has the means the capacity and understands the risk and wants to back that founder solving that problem because they can recognize that that founder is that, is that right founder at that right time? Rather than at the moment where there's this cat and mouse game um, that goes on between capital and founders closing investment. And that particularly impacts diversity and impact, um, uh, impact investing because generally, uh, and it's sad to say, it, it is, it is white males in London. The UK that gets the majority of the investment, and that's not obviously if you were to draw on a map who's solving most interesting problems. That does not represent at all the most interesting founders solving most interesting problems. So, Roy, welcome to the uh, Family Tech Decoded podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I'd be very interested to hear your sort of thoughts on that intro.
0: Dan, thanks so much for having me on as well. It's really great uh, to be chatting to you, and I've got to say, I've just really enjoyed all the write-ups you've been doing about previous conversations that you've had i think you're doing you know some really fantastic work getting that conversation going and and as you said you know i think everyone in this space although they are really trying to in many cases tackle it from different viewpoints and they've got different methods of trying to level the play f- playing field everyone is very much aligned in tr- in terms of what they're trying to do and that's solved for a really important problem and a problem that if we can solve for is going to release a lot of liquidity and most importantly going to help a lot of brilliant people solve some of the world's biggest problems uh, I think you know founder tech is a really interesting term I, I had not come across it uh, until speaking to you or on LinkedIn initially and I think it's I think it's spot-on and I think you're right in terms of it's Seems to be very right time, right place, and even seeing some of the M and activity in the market with companies like Valban being acquired by Carter. You know, it really is a space that's that's hotting up, and uh, I think it's a super exciting space to be involved with.
1: I'd like to kind of get into the impact and diversity piece um, because it hasn't. We haven't really covered it. We've touched on it. Um, let's start to the current situation before we look at where it can go and the work that you're doing to kind of uh, open this up. Why do you think historically venture capital hasn't been diverse let's just say focused in the UK why is why is it still so London you know centric and 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 white male male centric you know why why in this day and age so many other things have kind of like recalibrated why is this industry sort of still running on those kinds of frameworks or or, or if you think they still are because my experience is that they still are but obviously I'd love to hear your thoughts and experience around that.
0: Well, I think you're 100% correct. And for me, one of the biggest issues with venture capital in, in general is when you look at who these venture capitalists are and, and you know what the backgrounds are and where they came from, something like, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I know it's well over 80% of operators within VC come from finance backgrounds. A yeah. lot of them, have never worked in a startup. They've got no idea the realities of building a startup, and therefore the qualities they identify with and associate with are those which they more traditionally see within the city and come from banking. So there's no mystery as to if why if you have no diversification in terms of the types of people and types of experiences that are working within venture capital, of course you know they're going to the same types of, of founders and types of businesses. So I think the lack of diversification within investment. Inherently stems from the lack of diversification within the recruitment policies of these VCs.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. So I assume you know Eamon Carey, um, who yeah. we, we had a really good conversation with him about founder-driven capital, which addresses this, right? Where so he's part of two funds where the the the, um, the principals are all have all been founders. They've all sat in that chair. And that coupled with the rise of solo capitalists, I think is really interesting in this conversation where you have people with a lot of wealth, again, who've been founders, as probably exited, who have a distinct point of view. I'd be interested if you, if you see yourself as this as well, you know, like where, where they're going, I, I understand the, uh, the, my, my profile. I understand the sectors, I understand the risk. And I can make very quick decisions once I've kind of honed in on a founder that I can recognize as, you know, highly credible, highly unusual in the way they're seeing the space, highly innovative. And I can act, yeah, I can back that uh, founder through certainly the first stage of their trajectory. What do you, have you seen those kinds of dynamics um, in your business, sort of founder driven capital, solo capitalists, or anything else that's kind of in that space?
0: I mean totally, and you know even speaking from my own experiences, so I, I built a business uh, which I founded in 2013 uh, which is essentially a content creation toolkit. We got very fortunate with the timing, managed to drive it to about 8 million monthly active unique users before being acquired by a gaming company in 2018. Off the back of that I was fortunate enough to start angel investing myself and the first investment I ever made was a £50,000 cheque into a female founder. And not because of any other reason that then I identified the qualities that a founder should have within this person. You know, it was relevant in terms of their educational background or what they'd done before. You know, you know, when you've been through that journey of being a founder, especially at the early stage when there's no meaningful information really to due diligence. You know, it, it, we're talking about, you know, many cases, pre-revenue, sometimes yeah. pre product Uh, businesses you know all you can go on is the qualities of that individual and to think that those qualities are you know exclusively aligned to to specific individuals rather than something which anyone can have is you know a total fallacy.
1: Yeah so this has come up again a couple of times recently Um, so people have called these things obviously signals founder signals because you have no no other information to go on obviously there's this term founder market fit which is another way of kind of measuring that Um, someone's called it subsurface cues. And that what they're all driving towards is what we're talking about, that a sophisticated um, investor, particularly one that's been a founder, particularly one that understands the sector deeply that they're trying to invest in, can actually, is better placed to pick up on these signals or subsurface cues, and therefore is a better investor, not just for that founder, but maybe can outperform the market because they are able to appreciate and evaluate that founder differently. Um, so I think that's what you're saying as as, as well. But I think that's really important to this conversation, that elevating investors that can operate at that kind of micro level, you know, because, because otherwise, what, in, what happens as a, as a closing thought to this this bit is that you end up asking product driven questions that the founder cannot possibly answer, you know. And, we talk a lot of this about, you know, sort of the, the MPS, the customer lifetime value, all of that stuff that the founder doesn't probably even understand, but isn't useful. And you get that dance between founder and investor or the inexperienced investor or someone who can't operate at this level of these signals is asking for this information to try and evaluate risk and opportunity. But there's no information that's valuable there to, to, to give and pass between them. So, do you think there is this kind of this wave of, of of investors that kind of that can speak that language, and the founders will start to identify and elevate those investors as being more valuable
0: to them? Yeah I I totally think so and I'm involved with a few angel syndicates which I've been investing through recently where everyone is an ex-operator or in some cases still an operator within a startup at a high level and you know I think the the types of questioning that you see in those environments versus the types of questioning I've seen in you know a venture capital environment are are amazing. Well a venture capital environment where someone isn't a uh, an, an ex operator ex founder it's it's yeah. almost like a totally different mindset when it comes to the qualities they're looking for and as you said you know the metrics that tick boxes for VCs at one stage are not really relevant at the early stage and i think because most founders that I've seen and most founders that I've invested in who have gone on to be very successful are those who clearly have a growth mindset. It's not about knowing everything because if you're doing something truly innovative, how can you know everything about it? It's about right. the willingness to learn, right? It's about the willingness to adapt and, and get better. And that's the sort of qualities you look for because ultimately, especially at the early stage, it's about people. You know, If this is a founder who is humble, who you know knows their stuff, knows what they don't know, is willing to learn, then that's the sort of people who other great talents are attracted to. And that's ultimately what's going to take a company from, you know, idea stage through to that product market fit and beyond is a really, really talented team. So
1: if we could do a case study, and not like you can take out names and make it generic, but can you talk about an example where you've been evaluating a founder or founders um, where and to just kind of drill into what you look for in those clue, those signals, those sort of subsurface signals, and uh, what what are consistently what you look for beyond the you know a, a good person, a humble person, a driven person. What are some uh, some more specific things? So, for example, just to, just to kind of to to give it more color, one person has said they look if the, if the person has a really astute hiring plan. Um, that's an interesting signal for them, like they, they actually understand who they want to hire. They may not be able to afford to get those people. But are there anything, any, any like really specific uh, cues that you look for?
0: Yeah, I think uh, absolutely their ability to attract talent. So they've got interesting people genuinely involved, not just you know uh, uh, a tile on a pitch deck, but people who are <laughs> genuinely interested in getting involved. That's obviously a massive signal. And, and listen, I am a human. I'm fallible, as we all are. I also definitely have a bit of a bias to the underdog someone who's gone through a bit of adversity because that's something I've experienced myself on on the diversity side of things growing up with nothing and no income in my household and many times I know that's the reason why I have as much drive as I do so I, I do have a bit of a uh, supporting the underdog mentality, although that might not be uh, a great thesis. It's I, I think many angel investors do not just invest for returns, a lot of them do invest because they want to support something. We talk about uh, leveling the playing field, we talk about impact, I think that is a massive driver which you can't overlook you know, within the angel investment community anyway. Um, but these are the types of things I look for. I also personally do, I really, really love founders who test commercial Propositions in a very quick and dirty way. I do not necessarily believe in spending three years in product iteration with a beta cohort of twenty users to understand the perfect product for these twenty people. I really, really think that um, product development, especially if you're not a super fund- funded startup, needs to be led by commercial signals rather than just you know a very, very small. Uh, product-led approach, uh, which is different to a lot of investors, but I think the amount of experience that you're going to start developing from trying to understand customer acquisition, trying to understand you know customer success, all the other things that go into a startup beyond building the product, shows that you're going to go far, further, quicker, faster, I believe.
1: Yeah, so this is one of the conditions, I mean, this is what, one of the doors that opened up this conversation for me, or this space for me was there it started off kind of as a twin set between like founder market fit as a concept and then kind of no code, low code. And, you know, I think the fact that it is so cheap and, and, and we, we've, we've talked about it should be a badge of honor, like the less money that you've spent testing your thesis commercially and, you know, just just traction in general should be celebrated, right? That's that's a signal that, as you're saying, it's like that an investor should really value that because they're, the, the, the days of having to raise you know several hundred thousand pounds of pre-seed capital to build a product to test those things i think that's an immediate signal that, that, that both founder and investor aren't sort of like fit for purpose to, really to have that conversation because that's not the way that things work and then and and beyond that it's not just about code is it so it's, it's like testing that could be a pop-up event testing that could be creating thought leadership for yourself you know like doing giving talks like test test there's there's many ways we come back to it again again that, that actually a founder has quite a lot of agency over um, they don't need permission that can start to send out these signals and elevate them to kind of like I'm the founder to be solving that problem and I think one of the reasons why this conversation is now uh, opening up is because we are decoupling ourselves from that bias of oh well you have you know you have to code a platform yourself that fixes this problem, and have a team that does that. Then the lack of kind of emphasis, or the decrease. Obviously, there are some things where that is still very relevant. You know, and whether you are deep tech kind of problem, you have to do that. But sure. For the majority of e-commerce, SaaS kind of things, that's becoming less and less relevant. And I think that's part of the sort of tectonic shift here. Is that it, once it, when everyone was wed to that. Then that was how you would measure a founder, right? Now that there is, now that you don't have to expect to see that, and you can value almost, like I said, less capital to solve the, the to test the problem as big, wide as possible. I think that's a fundamental sort of, you know, like dynamic of this conversation and why it's why it's ready to shift. Would you Would you agree with that? That that thesis?
0: Honestly, I could not have put that better if I tried. Genuinely, <laughs> you're you're so. On the money with that, because the amount of accessible tools that there are that are free to use that can get you well on your journey without ever needing funding is insane now when I speak to founders and I talk to them about their plan and they say, and I'm saying you know where are you with traction what you know what's going on doesn't necessarily need to be monetization but just any sort of validation. And they say, well, we can't do it until we raise the first bit of capital. It's just not true. I mean, there is so much opportunity out there. We live in a society where there is nothing stopping you now. And and I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think, if anything, one of the benefits of this at least perceived downturn in VC investing and angel investing, although it's not something I've necessarily personally seen, is more of a focus on, well, what can you do with as little capital as possible to prove that this is going to work and prove the business fundamentals, rather than let's go raise twenty million off the bat and see what happens. So I, I think I think you're you're spot on there.
1: So thank you. The, the, so there's the dot. You know, you can connect what you've just said to the beginning of what you said. So if you have these sort of um, financially driven VCs, right that's much harder for them to evaluate what we're talking about, because it's, it, the, the metrics just aren't there, right? The, the, the financial signals aren't. So they, they're finding now, maybe all these dots are connected, which, which I hadn't seen before. That if, you, if, if those people who used to have the purse strings are less able to assess accurately, Um, And one of the other things that set set this conversation in motion was that I started to hear that investors were having a signal-to-noise problem in their funnels, that there just wasn't enough quality coming through that they could assess through traditional lenses. Therefore, they couldn't turn the 1,000, I know it's a small funnel, you know, into the 10 things that they backed, or 40 that due diligence, 10 that they backed, one that won. Those sorts of ratios stopped working. What I'm now maybe saying i'm thinking like from this conversation is that one of the reasons that that stopped working is not the quality of founders in the funnel but is that the the vcs themselves don't have the lenses to evaluate the quality in that funnel which is a slight nuance which but that's super interesting though like it's a really interesting kind of development
0: yeah yeah it, it's really really interesting and i think now more than ever it's you've got to hustle for that first bit of traction because that is that is the language that the VCs will understand. And, you know, whilst the VC system needs a lot of updating and needs a lot of, you know, uh, uh, change, whilst it is in the current state that it is, you've got to do what you can to go and get that traction. And I think as well, I speak to a lot of founders, if there are any founders listening to this, one of the lessons that I've learned is, you know, if you're scared of burning early customers, you know, you're probably not in a big enough market Because ultimately, when you're looking at things on a cohort analysis basis, you need to have meaningful cohorts. They need to be getting better, you know, better time on time and cohort by cohort. But if you're scared of putting it out there and, you know, scared of trying to make it happen in in the quickest and dirtiest way possible, you're just going to fall behind. So I think, uh, you know, it's all it all seems to be, uh, you know, coming to a bit of a a bit of a head, but in a really positive way for people who are just trying to get on with it and make things happen.
1: Yeah. So. So uh, I'm, I'm connecting us as you're speaking. So one of the interesting things then is like, let's take why why are founders and startups traditionally backed? You know where why do you give like, a founder a large amount of capital to solve you know or innovate a problem? Let's say a well-established sector like travel, just for the sake of it, or banking. You know um, why do that? And the reason it has been traditionally because they you know the, the startups are nimble, adaptive in a way that sort of you know the larger players are. But I think what we're actually saying is that. The, there's a new type of founder where they are an agent that can operate at this kind of subsurface level and that, as you just said like they can kind of burn through customers or test things very very quickly that it's like it's like this first initial bit is being re-engineered and I do see this is where founder tech has the most value because if you can give founders these tools for this initial bit so everybody's on a level playing field what you're going to do is uh, elevate the best founders, right, that are kind of demonstrating. We don't really have the language for it yet, but it's, it's, it's even more than founder market fit. It's the, it's the capacity to, to make things happen in this early stage space. And I think that's super interesting. I think it goes back again to di- the diversity, the impact, because it just kind of drags everything along with it, if you see what I mean. It kind of goes, well, if you, if you can demonstrate that, that's actually now the really hard bit. And therefore, if you if you're consistently demonstrating that over, let's say, three to six months, you will be noticed and capital will move towards you. But that's that's different from before, I I think. And I think that's where I think the founder tech tools add the most value. Uh, Again, love to hear what, what you think about that.
0: Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think with the amount of great signals that uh, a business or a founder can have at the early stage, there are still smart ways of presenting and structuring that data. You know, you still do need to speak the language of investors and appreciate that they want to, you know, no, no investor invests in a snapshot or very few do. They invest in a trajectory. They want to get to know the project. They want, especially if you don't have a track record, you know, if you're a first-time founder, you need to build that track record with investors. How do you do that? Is you let them know what you're planning on doing, and then you do it. So you show them that you can execute on the plans that you're laying out, and you can they can sh- they can see that you can go and get traction. And there are so many great ways to do that at a very early stage. One of the most powerful metrics is the waitlist. You know, it's something which everyone can do, and you can hack growth. I know it's you know an unpopular term, but you can you can find so many ways of building interest around your product that shows that you can at least theoretically acquire customers acquire interest you know really get some some validation around your proposition you know these are these are open goals to early stage founders one of the things they struggle with and this is one of the problems that connected souls for is you know how do you visually present that story away from the traditional metrics and how do you centralize that and you know centralize the investor management piece but You know, between the size of the waitlist, the number of pilots, the letters of intent, all of these things that that and and to be fair, a lot of founders aren't aware that these are the types of things which show good signals at this stage. So this is where Founder Tech comes in, right? It's the education piece. These are the things that you can do which are meaningful, which are going to help you build your track record, which are going to show that you are onto something interesting and most importantly can execute. Uh, and, and that's exactly where the founder tech comes in, right? It's giving those tools, giving that education, and giving that opportunity to, for everyone to understand what do I need to do to look good, what do I need to do to get better. So I think it's a it, it's, it's a really nice use case of, of founder tech.
1: So let, let's get into the specifics of how connected. Would you would you say that it's a founder tech platform in that in that regard? You I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, like is it it feels like it is, but you know, would you see it as that if if not? Why not, why isn't it? And and then how does it start to address these problems, if you can get into a bit of detail around that.
0: So it's really interesting. I mean, when I founded Connected, so when I was a founder, I was always great at investor relations. So my assumption, incorrectly, my assumption when I started investing was, other founders are very good at investor relations. I found out very quickly that that's not always the case. Um, And I also found out how quickly, you know, it makes a huge difference in terms of the prospects of that company. You know, if a founder is going quiet on its investors versus, and I can see this in my own portfolio, versus founders who are keeping investors in the loop, sharing problems, sharing everything else, you know, there are there really seems to be a very different success rate so for me after beginning angel investing i thought it was crazy i had no visible you know we know startups are incredibly illiquid but it's just amazing to see the vacuum of information that accompanies it so you know when you're talking about an asset class highly illiquid no information no idea what's going on it's about as unattractive as an asset can be so i actually started building connected with the idea of What can we try and do to bring more visibility to investors in this asset class, akin to the types of things you would see even in crypto, in public shares. So I wanted to build a portfolio management system for angel investors, family officers, helping them understand what's going on in their businesses. Uh, On on the, the, the other side for the founders, Building out reporting suites that helps them drive insights into their own businesses, understand how they're performing versus aggregated benchmarks, help them understand what they need to do to get better or what good looks like for their sector, for their stage, for their commercial model, whatever it might be. So I would actually say we started more. think We started initially thinking about utility for the investor side, but obviously because... You know the only way to get insight into your portfolio is to build something of real utility for the founders the next step was building out the reporting tools there uh, on the founder side so i wouldn't say we initially started as as founder tech but but definitely within that world so you brought
1: up a word there utility which came up with my conversation with anthony rose of seed legals and he he talked about his big realization was when when seed legals had to behave like a utility where you pressed a button and something happened and i do think we can start to talk about actually what what founders is about maybe 20 buttons that they can press to make things happen and make you know efficiently without having to kind of interpret the uh, the plumbing behind them and i i hear you you use that word so it's almost have the same kind of um he talks about it from like a, a design um, aesthetic you know like a functional design aesthetic almost from a ux ui like it has to behave in that way and then get out of the way um is that how you th- thought of connecting like like in, in enabling founders or invest uh, you know start with the best for to press a button basically and make something happen in the most efficient way possible
0: totally exactly that so for us on the on the founder side you know we've built integrations with open banking systems accounting softwares erps crms which they can you know sign in we do lots of data translation our end to build out dashboards that give them meaningful insights into their own businesses help them understand how they're performing versus other businesses within their sector help them drive reports for their own internal teams their potential investors existing investors you know all through a, a very frictionless way of integrating these systems so it's exactly that it's you know it's got to have that utility both in terms of, of the way it functions from a, a design UX perspective but also in terms of giving genuinely valuable feedback for for these founders because you know the reality of fundraising is there is so much transactional complexity associated with this type of transaction it's not like getting an uber it's not like ordering uh-huh. delivery right there are so many things that you cannot account for for example if you're looking to raise for an angel investor oh actually you know i'm renovating my house you know these are things that happen right these are yeah. things that are like angel investment. so if you can't solve for all that transactional complexity it's about giving a universally scalable set of tools that help people understand what they need to do to get better and it's that immediate feedback you know there's nothing more frustrating as a founder saying right i can't raise why can't i raise well here you can see statistically because actually you're not great at this and you need to improve at that versus other b2c fintechs with the subscription model for example so it's giving that feedback which is you know endlessly valuable to founders and helps them along their journey
1: yeah, do, do you include in that? Because one, one of the things people think is old founder tech's a free-for-all, right? Everybody can, which is true, of course, everybody can access these utilities. And, and, and if you if you factor that out over the next few years, it really does sort of uh, open it all up. But one of the functions of it as well, if we're kind of talking about this this initial bit of the journey that's being re-engineered, is to help founders also evaluate and come to a firm firm conclusion, excuse me, of I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this because I'm not the right person and there's 10 other people that are better than me solving this problem or it's not the right time for me in terms of, kind of you know, where I am in my life or you know, my well-being or my risk capacity. And I do see that as part of the function. not core, it's slightly it's like peripheral, but there is still a, a button there to help founders self-select. No one's telling anyone, you know, you can't do this. I think that's again, the help, one of the healthy, things. It's not VC saying you can't do this. We don't believe this. It's, it's, but it, that ability for that founder to, to evaluate themselves. And also what comes up is their ability and confidence to evaluate any investor that that, that is a very much a double sided conversation where the founder should be, um, evaluating the investor as hard almost as the investors evaluate the fact, the founder. So it's a two part question. Do you, do you, do anything to address that? Should the founder be doing that? And then do you sort of facilitate that double-sided evaluation?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. So I think it's a very, uh, it's very, very difficult on the first part of that, uh, you know, tell a founder they shouldn't be doing something. I think you can statistically demonstrate to them that they might not be performing versus their peers to a certain extent and they can come to their own conclusion Uh, and i'm you know a big 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 supporter of mental health i've invested heavily in mental health technology so i think there is a huge conversation to be had around that i run a founder support network where we get you know founders together every two three weeks to discuss you know the mental health journey being a founder Um, and one of the things that we do at connected is we do plug in advisors as well so founders can use connected to find advisors mentors as well who, who can give a bit more of the you know, human element of that, although it's something very difficult to productize, so it's much more a connection piece. Um, so, but I think on, on on the second side, absolutely. You know, the due diligence going both ways is incredibly important. Um, you know, VCs get a bad rap for, for many, many things, but even the worst VCs still have a brand to uh protect they have guidelines they're still working for a company some of the worst terms some of the worst mm-hmm. behavior i've seen uh is from you know private individuals you have angel investors but you definitely have devil investors as well uh, <laughs> i'm sure we've all, all <laughs> seen that the terms. i've never heard it
1: called that i was literally talking to a founder before we spoke we and i was trying to describe that and saying that's worse than having nothing <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 insane. So yeah, absolutely, the ability for founders to do research, um, and, and obviously we have to take through our investors through KYC AML processes. You know, it's 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 something that we've got to do, and we're, we're very proud to do to make sure that we're you know doing some of that vetting there. But ultimately, it's, it's um something which founders need to start being able to evaluate themselves. Right? Is 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 this does it feel right? You know often you just got to trust your gut uh, but it's a really it's a really, really interesting concept in terms of the 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 sort of double evaluation piece but absolutely you know you need to do due diligence on, on anyone who's offering you cash.
1: Totally it, it's, it's again it's making the conversation transparent from both sides and I'm, I'm aware of our time Um is there anything specifically for founders listening to this around Connected that you would just sort of like do a shout out before we kind of close with the APIs is there any any obviously we'll put like you know your linkedin in the show notes or anything else is there is the way people can, um, connect with you or, or or the platform just if you can if you can give us that, that would be great
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone who's interested in, in what we're trying to do in the ecosystem, have a look at Connected.co, uh, although it will be Connected.com in the next 10 days. So you can you can have a look. Congratulations. There. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but otherwise, if you're a founder who is struggling on the mental health journey and, and wants to reach out, we are running a founder support network, which is something I'm very, very passionate about. And people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I try and respond to everything.
1: OK, cool. Um Right. So let's close on API. So people, books, events, uh, founders that you look to uh, as sort of informing in your perspective around this kind of evolving conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so one of the people who has been very influential to my founder journey since I met him back in 2013 is a guy called Greg Eisenberg. Um, Greg founded a business called 5 Roy, which was acquired by StumbleUpon, uh, then founded a business called Islands, which was acquired by WeWork. And he is, you know, really the definition of, you know, how you hustle, build traction, build community at a very early stage without necessarily raising the capital and, you know, doing some amazing stuff in web three at the moment. I recommend everyone to follow him, but you know, it's all about community building. It's all about thought leadership and, you know, more and more as time goes on, the blurring between company and founder and, you know, founder brand versus company brand. I think he absolutely nails that. So uh, definitely someone worth checking out and subscribing to his, uh, his newsletter as well. Awesome. Um, Well, um, I think we'll wrap there
1: it's been honestly it's been like creating dots in real time which is really nice because this closed out series two and so I think a lot of the ground that we've been kind of working towards has come together here. so it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I, I really appreciate it um, and 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 yeah I just think there's, there's there's so much opportunity here right once you see it and frame it and we're only in at the
0: beginnings of that conversation. Dan thank you so much for having me on really loved it appreciate the time as ever and we will chat soon.